Well, what, what I know and what I think everyone wants to, to know is, is that when you have faith in God, you want that faith to be solid. And if something happens that interrupts your faith, it's the most unsettling feeling that you can have. And based on everything I've read over the years and the people that I've had a chance to talk to, there are two things that really seem to rock a person's faith to the point where they wonder, is God still there? And does he still love me? The first thing that might happen is a person can experience something unspeakable, um, a sort of a tragedy or some sort of evil that has just come into their life. And so often the phrase is, something bad happens to someone good. And they think to themselves, well, why did that happen? Where is God and does he still love me? The second thing that might happen is that they, ex- that they actually do something that's unforgivable unfor- in their mind. They, they did something, they said something, they hurt someone. And in the aftermath of all of that guilt and shame, they come to the conclusion, God couldn't love someone like me. And maybe there are some people that have one or both of those things that they can look back at and say, yes, that has rattled my faith. Or yes, that's why I'm in a season right now where I'm not sure if God is there or if God loves me. What we're going to see today in our Jacob series is that a guy named Jacob experienced both of these things in a day, actually over the course of a few days. He experienced something unspeakable, namely to one of his daughters. And then his household did something unforgivable to an entire village. And in the aftermath, we're all left wondering, is there still any hope for Jacob and for people like Jacob and for people like me? Is God still there and does he still love me? So by the end of the message, I hope that you have firm answers for that. What do you do with the unspeakable things from your life? What do you do with the unforgivable things from your past? The things that have the power to rattle your faith or your belief in God. Well, let's see how God responded to Jacob when Jacob experienced something unspeakable and did something seemingly unforgivable. And to catch you up to speed, here's a map that kind of highlights where we've been the last few weeks in our Jacob series. Jacob had to wander away from home. This was home. He wandered away from home for about 20 years because he angered his father and his brother Esau. Esau, his brother, wanted to kill him. And so Jacob thought, it's in my best interest to leave. So he went all the way up to the north where he found a wife, two wives, sisters, uh, Rachel and Leah, had a family through Rachel and Leah and two of their servants. It's been a fun series. He's had 11 11 sons and one daughter. The one daughter's name is Dinah. And then after some time, just things aren't working well with the in-laws. And so Jacob and his family has to set boundaries. They leave, they come down south. And as Jacob comes down south, last week what we saw, Esau was coming uh, coming north. And the two meet around this area. And they have this clashing. Jacob is worried because last time they saw Esau was going to kill him, but they smooth things over. 
Jacob doesn't just confront his brother, but also what we saw, Jacob wrestled with God and God changed his name to Israel. Not just deceiver, Jacob, but one who wrestles with God, Israel. And so where we left off last time was Jacob and his household went over the Jordan River and they settled near a place called Shechem. And Jacob paid some money to have this little piece of land where he kind of set up base. And it's just outside of the city of Shechem where they can see what's going on. And that's where we get to Genesis chapter 34, which is one of those chapters that you will never hear about in Sunday school. And I'm going to keep this rated G or PG, and I'm going to try my best to kind of thread this needle. But here's what happens when they were settled outside of Shechem. Jacob's daughter... Dinah was getting bored. Too many brothers around the house. And so she's, she's wandering around. She's meeting all the girls in the area. And one day, as she's doing that, a guy named Shechem saw her. Shechem, son of Hamor. Hamor was the ruler of the area. So the ruler's son, Shechem, takes note of Dinah. And, keeping this rated G, he forces himself on her without her permission. And then in the aftermath of this physical altercation, this night together, Shechem decides, I have a crush on this girl. And so he goes to his dad, Hamor, and Shechem says, hey, there's this girl, Dinah. I really love her. I really love her, dad. Can you please help me marry her? Now, while this is happening, Jacob hears what had happened to his daughter, and I can't imagine hearing news like that that, something unspeakable. And Jacob doesn't do anything because his sons are out in the fields, but his sons come home. They hear what happened to their sister, Dinah, and they are boiling over. They are angry. And as that happens, Hamor comes to establish a marriage between Shechem and Dinah. He's like, hey, uh, Jacob, I guess our, our kids have really hit it off. Um, let's, let's arrange a marriage. It'll be good. Oh, you, you can settle here. We'll still be here. We'll, we'll intermarry. Your sons can have wives. Our wives can have husbands. And we'll, we'll, it'll be a good business arrangement. What do you think? And this is where Jacob's sons step in and say, you know what? That's a good deal. But we can't do that. We can't marry with you guys because you're not circumcised. And so the, the sons of, of Jacob, the sons of Israel, made this deal with, with Hamor and Shechem. They said, we'll, we'll agree to this marriage with, uh, with, with Dinah and, and Shechem. We'll, we'll agree to it as long as all of the men of your town are circumcised. And they thought about it. The men of the Shechem, they, 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 were, they said, you know what? It's not going to feel good. <laughs> but it, this is a lucrative deal. If, if they intermarry with us, we will all be better off. And we're going to take one for the team so that we can be prosperous. And so the men of Shechem agree. All in one day, all of them are circumcised. I'm not going to, again, keep it rated G. Hopefully you know what that means. All of them on one day. Now, if you've ever had like a, a medical procedure, something where they had to do some sort of surgery, you know that the first night you just don't sleep well. You're in pain. Things aren't working right. So the men of Shechem, that first night, I'm guessing, they didn't sleep very well. Uh, the, the second day rolls around, they're still like, why did we do this? You know, they're in pain, they're, they're just laying there, trying not to move, and you can understand why. 
And then second night comes around, oh, I'm guessing they didn't sleep well that, that, that day either. And then the third day rolls around, and they're just totally worthless. And that's when Simeon and Levi, two of the brothers of Dinah, decide to take matters into their own hands. They take up arms and they slaughter every man in the town while they were, were weak and useless. And in the aftermath, the sons of Jacob went through the village, took all the women and children and all of the goods that were in it. And so that's Genesis 34, that you'd never heard in Sunday school. Dinah, what happened to Dinah was something unspeakable, but what the sons of Jacob did to that town were unforgivable. So when Jacob hears what had happened, his basic reaction is, what have you done? And this fear overcame him. Like, what did we get ourselves into? And maybe you've had that same reaction. Something unspeakable happened to you, but the way you reacted was borderline unforgivable. What does God think about that? Is God going to still be with Jacob and his descendants? Is God's promise to make them a nation still in effect? Well, we pick it up there in Genesis 35 where we start to see some answers to those questions. This is the story you did here in Sunday school. Jacob, God said to Jacob, go up elevation-wise, which is actually south on the map, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. And now we're coming full circle with where the story began because after Jacob ran from Esau, one of the first places he went to was Bethel where God appeared to him in a dream and gave him this vision of a staircase to heaven with angels going up and down. Long story short, God was saying, Jacob, I am with you even if you can't see it. So God says, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel and build an altar. Now, what's an altar for? It's for sacrifice. Something must die. Something must be placed on that altar and be offered up to God. Now, the interesting thing is God never gives him instructions on what to do with the altar. He just says, go build the altar. And so if, if, if you're Jacob, you're thinking, okay, what is this going to cost? But God says, go back to where I am. And this time, instead of just building a monument to remember where I am, I want you to build an altar to acknowledge who I am. And so, without hesitation, Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Perhaps these were just part of the bounty they had taken from Shechem and the entire town there. Get rid of these foreign gods that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Purify could be anything from an external act, like taking a bath and shaving, which is good. Um, it could be any, anything from abstaining from certain things or certain activities, but they were going through a process to acknowledge they needed to change before they came into the presence of God himself. So healthy for me and for you too. We make this a comfortable environment where you can bring your coffee in with you and you can be relaxed. That's great. As, as you consider walking into the presence of God, never take for granted that a holy God welcomes the presence of sinful people. There must be a cleansing, a purification that takes place. And Jacob knew that. 
So then he said, uh, then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And I wonder if those words haunted him. He was here in, in Shechem. He saw the unspeakable thing that happened to my daughter. And he saw the unforgivable way we reacted. My God has been with me. So let's go meet with him and build the altar. The sacrifice is to be determined. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, literally the the gods in their hands and the rings in their ears. The gods in their hands and the rings in their ears. We're not sure why it emphasizes the rings in their ears. Perhaps it was this symbolic way of saying, we're going to get rid of these silver and gold gods, and we're going to get rid of the silver and gold so that there's no backup plan. Like, we can't just go make another idol, you know, if we want to, because we're getting rid of everything. And Jacob buried all that stuff under the oak at Shechem. Left it there. Leave it behind. And there are times in your life when it's so important to do the same. To say, God, I know that I've experienced something unspeakable or done something unforgivable, and I want, I need your presence again. Is there something I need to leave behind first? I need to say no. Get rid of it and get rid of any backup plan that I might have. And so then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Now, we're not sure how that fear of God settled in. Maybe word of an entire town being circumcised and killed permeated the news, local news. We're not sure. But what we do know is that God was the active party behind it. He protected Jacob, even though Jacob was hardly worth protecting. So Jacob and all the people finally came with him to Luz. That is Bethel, and these names start to sound familiar because, again, he had already been here about 20 years before. There he built an altar as God commanded, and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. You might say, wait, 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 wait. He already named it Bethel. Like 20 years ago, he had already said, this is Bethel, this is the house of God. And here's the thing. Whenever you see something repeated, it's worth remembering. Whenever you see something repeated, it's because there was some question as to whether or not it was true to begin with. And so by repeating the name Bethel, not just Bethel, but El Bethel, Jacob says, this is still the house of God. And some of you might be thinking, what's up with El Bethel? And you might be thinking, oh, that's Spanish for the Bethel. But It's not Spanish, it's Hebrew. It actually means God, the house of God. Or in other words, God is still in the house of God. And as it happens, just a few verses later, we see this happen. God appeared to him again and did not curse him, but blessed him. Even after all he had been through and done, Jacob knew that Bethel, El Bethel, God was with him still. 
And whoever needs to hear this today, from whatever unspeakable tragedy you've experienced or unforgivable sin you have committed, know this, that God is still with you. He is still very much with you, but in a way that is far greater than what Jacob experienced. Jacob had a Bethel to go to with a monument and an altar, but for you, Bethel goes with you. God's kingdom is one that is invisible, reigning in your hearts through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's Bethel is within you. It's not a place you go. It's not a building that you sit in. It is within you. And he declares, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit because you were purchased at a price through the blood of Christ himself. God is still with you even through unspeakable experiences and what we might uh, deem unforgivable sin. But how can God just overlook the unspeakable, unforgivable parts of life? Here's uh, where we'll see God show Jacob what's going on. God appeared to Jacob again and blessed him. He said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel, so he named him Israel. Does that sound familiar? Once again, we see a repetition of what had happened previously because God has already told him, your name is Jacob, but now it's Israel. Your name was Jacob, deceiver, but now it is Israel, one who clings to God or wrestles with God. But now God is reminding him that even though what you've been through is a lot, Who you are has not changed. Because who he was was never earned by his behavior. Who he was was a declaration of God. And the same is true of you. Jacob's true name is still Israel. Even though after everything he's been through. What is your name? And here's where the voices within you, and here's where the devil himself would love to step in and throw accusations and say, you're a nobody? You were told God forgives you, but then you went and did that unspeakable, horrible thing, unforgivable. You think God still says you're his child? Can I just tell you that Jesus is up in heaven right now as a defense attorney? And any accusation that might come against you, even if it's something you call unforgivable, Jesus is saying, I'll pay for it. God still calls you his child. He still calls you that because him calling you his child was not about you earning it. It was about Jesus paying for it. And his child is both a relational term. You are part of his family, but it's also a legal term. You are a rightful heir of everything that God has. You are an heir of eternity, an heir of heaven. That's your inheritance that's waiting for you. God still calls you his child because that title was not earned by you. It was won by what Jesus did. Now we've clarified God is still where he was. Jacob is still called Israel. Now let's see how God presents himself. Because you might say, well, let's change plans, Jacob, because you did something unspeakable or unforgivable. But here's what God says. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Hebrew is El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and community of nations will come from you. 
and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give you this land. I will give it to you and to your descendants after you. In other words, the promise has not changed. And this is something I want to just bring some attention to because you think about what Jacob has done with his maybe passive way of reacting to tragedy and what his sons did to, to potentially ruin this promise from God. Just keep this in mind that the descendants, what God promised to do for Jacob's descendants was still valid despite what Jacob's descendants had done. The promise was still valid despite what they had done. In fact, we're going to see this recur over and over again, that God gives the promise. This will become a great nation and great things will happen. And then this great nation does really horrible things. But the promise is not removed. And the same is true of me and you. You cannot, by your bad behavior, undo what your good behavior never earned. God's promise that he would provide a savior for your sin and the sin of the world was never dependent on, were you good enough to deserve that? Rather, God said, I found you when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so out of my grace and mercy, I provided you a savior to take that away. We, by our behavior, cannot unearn what our good behavior never earned. God's promise still stands that the forgiveness of sins is offered and freely given in Christ Jesus. The only, the only question is, what do we do with it? Is that something by faith that we will look to and say, I need that. God, give me the faith to receive that forgiveness. But nothing we do can take away the fact that the world's sin has been atoned for. So number three, God will still do what he has promised. Nothing you do can make God change one of them. He still promises, I am with you. He still promises that I can take anything and work it out for your good. His promises are declared and they will not change. And yet, and yet life wasn't so good for Jacob. Jacob knew that God was still there. He knew that he was still Israel. He knew God's promises were still active. But here's what happens next. Jacob uh, set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. And you're like, yeah, we've heard that. But he's like, no, you need to hear it again. <laughs> this is Bethel. I declare it's Bethel because everything that was still is. So here's where we want to see, and they lived happily ever after. Because they knew that nothing would ever change with God. He would always be where he was. He would always be true to what he had said. And what he declares about you will never change. And so they lived happily ever after. But tragedy struck, even while they were still in Bethel. Going back to verse 8, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak tree outside Bethel. And so it was named Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. So even in the presence of God, there was weeping. Then after they were done in Bethel, they moved on from that place. While there was still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth. This is the second child she has now 
uh, been pregnant with. She, gave, she began to uh, give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife was encouraging her. She said, don't despair. It's, you're going to have another son. This is just what you asked for. And if, if you remember from earlier in the series, she, she was unable to have kids at all. And so she went to Jacob and she said, give me a kid or I'll die. And then when she had a kid, she said, Lord, I need another. And, and now she's having this second child. And, and, then, and the, the, the nurse is saying, don't, don't despair. It's, it's a boy. It's a boy. Which would have been such a blessing for her. And in the midst of joy, there was unspeakable pain. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, son of my trouble. But his father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Um, She saw this child as her end. Um, uh, Jacob saw him as, this is going to be my right-hand man. And then as it goes on, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. And we think to this day means the year 2023, but it just means when this was written, which was about 400 years after it had happened. As Moses wrote these words, he says, to this day, you can see the love that Jacob had for Rachel. He didn't just put up a pile of rocks. He built something that would last. So, God was with Jacob. Jacob was still Israel. God's promises were still good, but there was weeping. And now there is grieving. It gets worse. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben, his firstborn, went on and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant. And Israel heard about it. Some say this was a political move because after Rachel's death, Reuben wanted to ensure that his admiration for Rachel wouldn't just go to her maidservant, but, he, but uh, um, Reuben wanted to make sure that his love would go to his mom, his mom Leah. And so Reuben is, is doing a power play. He's like, you can't have this one. This one belongs to me. He was usurping the authority of his house. Jacob heard of it, but did nothing. And so, yeah, God was with him. Yeah, his name was still Isaac. And yeah, God's promises were still good. But there was weeping, there was grieving. And there were some really deep troubles going on in his family. And then comes a seemingly random account as we finish up the chapter. It goes through a list of all of Jacob's sons, and I don't want to put them all on the screen because we've heard about them, but it starts with the sons of Leah, and then it lists all of her sons, and so on. The sons of Rachel, the sons of Rachel's servant, and the sons of Leah's servant, and it just lists them in order. And you might think, well, what in the world does this tell us? Well, the, the unusual thing about this is that they are not chronological. They are separated by who gave birth to them which is a sign that there are some severe cracks developing in this family unit and things are not as united as they could be. And so, God was with him. He was still Israel. God's promises were still good, but there was weeping, there was grieving, there was intense conflict 
And now he's not even sure about the future of his family. And that's where we almost leave things off because the only other thing is that Jacob came home finally to his father Isaac with this hardly happy ever after ending. He comes home to his father Isaac. Now Isaac had lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The only glimmer of hope we see is that Jacob and Esau were on good enough terms that they could at least come together to bury their father. But it ends in grief. So here's what we see about Jacob. God was still with him. His true name was still Israel. God's promise was still good. But life was still hard. So you might say, well, what's the point? What's the point in me focusing so much that God is with me and that I am his child and that his promises will never change? Why hold on to that if life is still hard? And for some of you, it was the unspeakable or the unforgivable thing that just pushed you over the edge. And I get it. What I want to leave you with is this, that yeah, life still is hard, and yet there is still hope. There is a hope that is bigger than what you will ever find in this life. Because for Jacob, we never get the happily ever after ending. And by the way, next week we'll wrap up by by seeing the way that Jacob breathed his last. But even after Jacob, we get to the the account of his son, Joseph, whom God had blessed in some really cool ways. But even though Joseph was so gifted, there was no happily ever after. We might have some time next week to tell some of his story. After Joseph, all the Israelites, the, the sons of Jacob, moved to Egypt, and it is really good, really sweet, but it wasn't sweet when they were enslaved as a nation by the Egyptians. There's the exodus from Egypt where they finally get to leave. And you might say, finally, here's the happily ever after. But after they are freed from Egypt, they wander and they rebel. They forsake God. And then God brings them into this promised land, a land they finally have of their own. And you might say, all right, here's the finish line, happily ever after. But they quickly take on the idols and the, 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 the worship of the nations around them. God sends them prophets and kings and judges to rally them up, to bring them back. But generation after generation falls away to the point where they are finally exiled from the land and almost erased from the map. And you might think, well, what's the point of remembering that God was with them, that they were his, and that his promises would never change? What's the point? Well, the point is, there was a greater hope that was yet to come. Not a happily ever after kind of an ending, but a greater hope that was bigger than this life and any happiness that it might contain. The amazing thing is that while we know God is with us, the ultimate fulfillment of that is when God dwelled among us, inhabiting this earth and basically acknowledging this world is his Bethel, the house of God. 
And when Jesus came to dwell with us, we, we think of these promises of God that might be written on paper and we can commit passages to memory, which is so powerful. Yet when Jesus came to this world, it wasn't just God repeating some promises, but the word of God became flesh and dwelled among us, taking all of these prophecies of blessing and fulfilling them. And ultimately this, even as the son of God lived in this world, even though he was perfect, life was so hard. Yet he didn't just come to endure a hard life, he came to embrace and defeat the worst part of life, death. And he did that for you, to solidify who you are and to make forever clear that God is with you and that his promises will not change His death is the guarantee that God has paid a great price for you. And his resurrection is our hope for a hope that's greater than this life. So hold on to that. Just like with Jacob, life will be hard. And for some of you, you might have done some things in your life to to change and say, God, I'll follow your path. I'll I'll read the Bible every day or I'll do this or I'll change this or I'll give my money. You, You thought about what you could do for God and you did it and it didn't change anything. Life was still hard. And you thought, God, I thought there was some joy that you wanted me to have, some peace. And as God looks at your eternity, he says, there still is. There still is. What would happen this week? If you live from that perspective, that what God wants for you, what he has done for you, and who you are, still is. We'll pick it up there next week as we wrap up this series on Jacob and see what happens as he breathes his last. But for today, let's pray. Father in heaven, We often look at the unspeakable things that can happen in life and the unforgivable things that we might do. And we we look at those as reasons why you shouldn't want anything to do with us or maybe we even call into question if you are there. When those things happen, can you draw our attention toward Jesus to whom unspeakable things happened? And to whom something unforgivable happened. And yet in the process of that, you bring purpose and hope, even in the midst of things that are unspeakable. And you provide forgiveness, even for what is unforgivable. Let us draw our hope and our attention toward him as the the, the constant reminder and the guarantee that with you, there is Amen.